Welcome to episode 174 of the CU Insight Experience. I'm Randy Smith, one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and this show is all about taking a deep dive with the leaders of the credit union movement that make it so great. This episode is sponsored by Amazon Business. With the value and convenience of Amazon plus innovative tools and features, purchasing leaders in credit unions can reduce costs, save time, maintain control, and efficiently scale their operations. Amazon Business, the most comprehensive one-stop shop for business purchasing. Today, I am very excited. I get to have a conversation with Mr. Terrence Williams. Terrence is the president and CEO of True Stage. Many of you may know them as formerly Kino Mutual Group. With that, let's jump right in. Terrence, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me and I'm looking forward to the conversation. I've been looking forward to this myself. Let's just start with, for the folks out there who don't know you, how about a, a little bit of background? Where did the career start and uh, you know how did it take you to where you are today at uh, True Stage? Absolutely. I'll give the short version of that question, the short answer to it. So I am someone who has been in the insurance industry my entire career. So I've spent the last 30 plus years in the financial services insurance space, having worked for now four companies. And working for the true stages number four. Started my career uh, with a small regional company and then spent the bulk of my career with two larger companies, Nationwide Insurance and then Allstate Insurance. I've lived in about eight different states at that <laughs> time. So I've moved all over the country and I was able to work in all of the uh, functional areas from an insurance standpoint. Started in claims, worked in product, worked in underwriting, worked in sales. And then have done many, many general manager assignments, P&L ownership roles, and really super excited to be at True Stage now. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're glad to have you. Did I see when I was kind of just doing a little homework on the old interwebs, did you have a marketing background as well? Or Yes. Uh, so that's an interesting story. So did I have a marketing background? Did I grow <laughs> up in marketing? The answer is no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I grew up running businesses uh, in operational types of roles. And many years ago, when I was at Nationwide, my CEO at the time called me into his office one day, one afternoon, and said, hey, we want to bring you back to Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. I was out in the field at that point. We want to bring you back to Columbus. That part wasn't a surprise. I always assumed I would eventually find my way back to Columbus, Ohio. That was the headquarters for Nationwide. But what surprised me were his next words. He says, I want you to come back, and I want you to become the chief marketing officer. And I said, whoa, Okay. I'm honored. I'm flattered. I said all those things. But you know my background. I'm an operator. I, I, I run businesses. I enjoy running businesses. I, run, I enjoy leading people to grow businesses. And his answer to me, I've never forgotten because he said, I need someone leading marketing who, A, understands a P&L, understand a business. And number two, I want someone leading marketing who is a leader. Uh, so, so he wa he wanted me to take over marketing for those reasons, and it was a great assignment that I enjoyed immensely. And and I always make this joke because I'm friends with the current CMO at Nationwide, and I make this joke whenever I see him. I said, "Hey, that campaign you're running is still my campaign. It's could, still yours. <laughs> could, you, could you create something new now? Because that that songs for all your sides is still mine. We created that 
I was there. So anyway, all good fun. That's amazing. I, I think of how important like a, a role like that is too. I'm sure back then, but even today with the digital transformation that everything is going on, it's, it's not just, you know, uh, billboards on the side of the road anymore. So I, we, we'll probably get more into the technology thing here uh, down the road. You know, Bob was on the show a couple different times and I always enjoyed the conversations with him and he always had a, a ton of kind of those nuggets learned over a career to, to leave us with as he was, you know, handing over the keys to you. Did he, did he have any tips or advice for you? I actually got tons of advice from Bob, a ton of, of counsel and guidance and advice. I think the area that, that Bob showed me more than told me was the importance of relationships in our system, the importance of relationships, because Bob had relations, still has relationships with every credit union leader in the United States, practically. And the, the ability to have those real, those productive relationships that really allow you to pick up the phone and to really get things done or to pick up the phone and call some and ask someone to join you in DC for a, an event or because relationships genuinely matter. Uh, and, and, Candidly, that's why I've been living out of a suitcase for the last five months to develop and build those relationships. And I think when I first met you, I was was traveling out somewhere meeting credit union leaders and people like you. Yeah, it was great to meet you. We were at a, a Children's Miracle Network event in Michigan, and that kind of got me again when I was doing a little bit of homework. I noticed outside of you know, the insurance business. It seems like you have a passion, let's just say, for the community. And I noticed a reoccurring thing. We Before we hit record, we were talking about the picture behind your head of William Bryce Stadium. Mentoring. And that's something that I love to talk about on the podcast. Let me ask you this. Why is that important for you? And why is that something that you've made a, a focus in your life? The, the short answer is because I am the benefactor of people who have poured into me. I sit here before you because I'm a product of, of people who have counseled me and given me coaching and guidance and kind of pivoted me when I was slightly off course. So I've had mentors who have really played a huge role in shaping me into who I am. So I, I feel a personal responsibility. I'll go even further. I, have, I feel it's a duty, a duty for me to pay it forward and to ensure that I'm doing my part to support others, particularly, particularly those youth who may not be able to see a possibility. They may not be able to see or imagine what they can accomplish. And I, I often say, I'm, I'm just a Southern boy from South Carolina who went to public schools. And if I'm able to garner any, any modicum or any level of success, and being fulfilled in doing what I do than anyone can with the appropriate level of preparation, hard work, dedication, education, et cetera. So I, it's a duty. I, I absolutely love that. As you think back on just yourself, was there a point that it maybe clicked with you that the possibilities were more than you thought? My, my fiance, Jill and I, who works in the industry also, you may have met, I think you guys also met in Detroit, but like we've talked a lot about that we didn't know the opportunities that existed growing up. We had no idea what we could possibly do or accomplish or what this world actually held beyond from the small towns that we grew up in. So was there a point within yourself where you're like, oh, wait, there's an opportunity if I put my head down and work and I take advantage of these things? That's a, that's a really good question. So for me, 
that requires me to give you some background on, on who I really am. <laughs> uh, and I often describe it this way. So, so I'm a Southerner by birth who was raised in a two-parent home. My mother was in the school system, educator. My dad was a construction worker. They're both Southerners by birth. They were born and raised in South Carolina. They poured into me this belief that you can do anything. You think about so they grew up, they, they literally came of age during the, the height of the civil rights struggle in South Carolina. I often say that I, I, I went to the University of South Carolina. My dad wasn't allowed to go there when he was 18. So, but they poured into me this notion of you can do anything, but it requires some things that you do on your end, you know, hard work and the work ethic, the dedication, you know, education, do they pour that into us? So I, I've, I've always felt that from birth, almost from, you know, growing up as a kid, that you can do anything. And I never felt any, any boundaries or anything that, that could, could limit me because my mom and dad convinced me when I was a kid that you can do anything. I love that. Well, we got to thank mom and dad for that, right? Before everybody, uh, you know, the true stage folks are, everybody's probably like, hey, let's talk about true stage. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's do a little bit here. I could uh, just pick your brain for hours on this, but what has you most excited? You, you, taking over the reins, you've got your team there. What has you most excited that you're working on at true stage? And also I'd love your perspective as you're coming into credit unions as a movement. What has you excited about, about this space nationally as well outside the, the doors of the company? So that's a, a multi-pronged question. <laughs> the, uh, I'll give you a, a short multi-pronged answer. So a couple points. Number one, you know, I believe in what we're trying to do and I genuinely believe in it. So not said another way, prior to true stage, one of my ongoing focal points was financial literacy and, and tr financial inclusiveness and trying to find ways to create betterment in communities and trying to ensure that financial services industry that I was a part of was doing our part to ensure that we were catering to and, and creating access to the underserved. So those are things that have been a focus for me my entire career. So what excites me about True Stage is that I and about our movement, credit union movement, is I have been able to identify a professional opportunity that aligns with my personal passion, my personal mission. So I'm I get out of bed with a with a, a skip in my step, <laughs> not because of my role, but because of what we're trying to do as an organization and how I'm so committed to this cause overall. So that is that just genuinely excites me beyond belief. Genuinely excites me beyond belief. So that, that's up here. And I, I know you're trying to get into the question there. I can go deeper on some specific tactical things that excite me as well. But that at the top layer, 50,000 feet, is what excites me and gets me out of bed with a, with a pep in my step. Well, I would first like to just say welcome home. Then so, uh, we're, we're, we're glad to have you. <laughs> Let's dig in a little bit deeper. I, I mean, you've come up in financial services, much like many of us have the let's call it the fight for relevance. The it, things change fast. So, like, again, blimp level here. But what are you hoping to accomplish? Not only to keep true stage relevant, but quite honestly, you're 
big part of our entire industry, right? Making sure that credit unions stay relevant in the big picture because, you know, there's there's arrows coming from every direction. So <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So I'll give a couple of tactical points here that really gets after your question. First of all, I want to ensure that we and this is going on long before me, but we'll continue this is that we are a force for good so that we are using our collective efforts as true stage to really partner with the system to help the system do things that perhaps it would be harder to do without us there. So example, we're going to use our balance sheet to invest in digital. We're going to invest in digital to ensure that we are working with credit unions to aid them in their journey as they are building out digital customer journeys for their members. We want to be there to provide assistance in that space, to, to, to help in that space. We're going to continue to invest in startup companies and venture companies uh, with our venture fund to make sure that we are, are bringing people to the table that might not read, reach out to an individual credit union, but, but through, through them being part of our portfolio, they, they, we can find ways to create partnerships that allow some of these startups to really play a role in assisting Credit unions. I think today, you know, in our portfolio, we've got about 20 or so of the of our investment companies have relationships with credit unions. I want that number to be significantly higher in the future because my belief is that if we're investing in a startup, I want a huge percentage of our portfolio to have have partnerships, to have uh, pilots, to have test and learns going on with credit unions to help them along their digital journey. Data and analytics. That's an area that's critical for us because think about it. How often do you get a package on your doorstep from that company that starts with an A? <laughs> and that company that starts with an A, you know, they, they personalize it. They cater to you. They know what you need before you need it. Before my coffee runs out, they remind me. I, I just hit that button this morning to tell you the truth. And it was, they, they knew it. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so how do we use the data that's at our disposal? within true stage and within the credit union system as a whole to personalize for that member, to make offerings to them based on their various life stages uh, of things that likely are the most appealing to them or maybe the most need for them that are the most likely to buy based on where they are in life. Data and analytics. So, so again, a force for good using our collective efforts and energies to drive things that using your word will ensure that there's relevance today and tomorrow within the credit union system and within true stage. I love that. I'd like to circle back a, a bit talking about mentors. A lot of folks that listen to the podcast or, you know, someday maybe they'd like to be the, the, the CEO of the credit union or whatever it happens to be in, the, in their chosen path. When you talked about mentors and being a mentor today uh, to others, did you formally seek out mentors or was it people that just, you know, were around you or a combination of both? Any, I guess, recommendations to the folks out there who are like, I'd like a little guidance or help here. So. The, the short answer is yes to everything. <laughs> so, A, in roles that I have been in over the last 15 years, 20 years, people have sought me to help them from a guidance standpoint, from a mentoring standpoint. So people have come to me. I also have sought out organizations and groups that allow me to be to serve as a mentor. For example, uh, in numerous markets I've lived in over the years. I've been very involved with Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, where I've served as a big in a couple of different markets 
overall. You know, right now I'm participating in a program with Big Brothers Big Sisters that they call Game Changers. And the the intent of this program is to to allow people like me to influence and convince others to become bigs because there's a shortage. We don't have enough people volunteering right now. And I'd like to share my story, my perspective, the things that have benefited me to convince others to give back and to find a way to make a difference for a girl or a boy uh, from a big standpoint. And then, you know, when I was at the University of South Carolina, I would have done cartwheels around Williams Bryce to have the opportunity to have a business leader or an executive mentor me while I was a student. So myself and a number of alum have formed a group who we do just that now. We bring mentoring for undergraduate students. In fact, I met, I meet with my mentee tomorrow morning at 8.30. That's uh, fantastic. Oh, so yeah. So just a number of different things that I do in that space just because of my passion as it relates to mentoring. We will have to link to, to the Big Brother, Big Sister program that you're talking about in the show notes as well. So we'll get that after we record. Terrence, you're in the, the big chair, right? So who do you do you have that like network of folks around you? I, I know when you know we were first starting CU Insight, I, I remember there was a, a person that I would call when I had ideas because I knew he would be like, what are you thinking if it was a bad one? When often people would say, that's amazing. You should do it. Um, and that sometimes you need that person who kind of speaks truth. I don't want to say speaks truth to power, but like is willing to ask you the tough questions. Do you have those folks around you? Is there somebody in your life who you're like, if I need a straight answer, I know who I'm going to. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a number of people around me that fit into that category, both, both personal, professional, business, the whole nine. So yes, I, I have a number of people that have been mentors to me over the years that I still lean on. You know, there's one in particular, an individual who's played a huge role in my professional career and my development, someone who is now a friend, but it started as a mentor. And, and she is someone who would always, you know, as they say, keep it real with me. (laughs) That brutal answer and would give me that, would pull me aside and give me that coaching that I needed to get when I was growing up within the corporate world. So yes, I have a number of people that fall into that category. You know, one of the things that I've loved hosting this podcast over the past five years is a lot of these questions are just like scratch my own itch. <laughs> but I but I get to ask smart people uh, what's on my mind. So and I love focusing on some of those hacks and things that we've picked up along the way. I, I heard a question last year, I think it was on a podcast where they asked Warren Buffett what the greatest investment he ever made in his career was. And it was Dale Carnegie courses. When you hear that question, what's the greatest investment you've made in your career? The greatest investment, it wouldn't be a tangible thing that I could point to, like the example you just gave there. For me, it would be the the commitment that my wife and I made, you know, many, many, many years ago that we were going to be flexible and we were going to relocate and we were going to to pursue this path over as a as a as a unit, as a husband and wife, as a team. And that's what's led to us living in eight different states <laughs> over the past 30 years. But when you think about and, and today, that doesn't apply as much when you think about our remote workforce. And, but think about it. Years ago in the corporate world, in many instances, relocation was something that was I won't say required, but it was was something that benefited you overall. So we we made this this conscious decision that we were going to invest in my career 
by moving. So there was a period when we were moving about on average about every three years. We were in a different city, in a different state, in a different house. And that is the investment that we made because our perspective was this will allow so many things. It will allow different exposure from a geography standpoint. It will allow you to work with different groups of people. Uh, and for me, it ended up being different functional areas as well in the insurance equation and all of these laddering up to really helping me to have this platform, this foundation that helped me to really understand the business in a pretty methodical way overall. So that would be the investment that I would share. Okay, now I'm going down. It's a question I generally tend to ask towards the end of the podcast, but I, I think since you brought that up, the the conversation that you and your wife had was, you know, often this idea of uh, as people move up in the ranks, there's that balance of, you know, family and work and let's just call it all of life. It strikes me as it's, that's an interesting thing. So, I mean, this was a conversation that you and your wife had, like kind of looking forward. Is it something that you then revisited over time as well? There's a lot of us out there who uh, maybe have struggled with that balance balance at times. So if you have any any advice here on this, that, that's brilliant that to me that you, you guys sat down and actually talked about this many years ago, probably as much younger folks, right? So <laughs> many, many years ago. Uh, yes. In fact, I'll give you the, the, the short story here. So we, my, I had already moved twice when I met my wife, by the way, I had already moved twice and, and uh, we were living in Northern Virginia. Uh, both of us. And and she was a flight attendant. I was working for an insurance company. We started dating and we were married like less than 10 months later, which is, if you know my personality, that's completely opposite of who I used to be. <laughs> but we had dialogue and conversation about the long term. What, what does long term look like for us? Because I, I tend to be a planner. I tend to be someone who maps things out. Uh, I'm someone who, you know, likes to establish milestones and specifics around how you're going to move through a path. And that's why it was so unlike me to get married to someone I met 10 months ago. <laughs> uh, but I did. So, yes, we had those conversations about the the value and the benefits of relocations in the corporate world. And again, think about it. It's a different world today. Back then, you know, relos was just part of the process. And many of the people that I've served in executive positions with at other companies you know, everyone's reload, you know, four, five, <laughs> seven times. Uh, that's how it used to work back then. And I was fortunate and blessed to have a bride, to have a wife who was just incredibly supportive, who has has always, always, always said, where do we need to go? Now, no, she wouldn't say that anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> but years let's, ago, let's, that was that's how we let's, let's, let's pick a place now. No. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you a little bit about like leadership teams and from your leadership style in that sense. A lot of the times we talk about culture in organizations, but I, I really like to take it kind of back to the beginning. When you're surrounding yourself, when you're looking at your leadership team, what are you looking for? Like, are there characteristics that you look for? What plays a role into your decision making process of, you know, what works for you? And I'll give you the second part of the question right now as well. Is there something that just shuts you down that you're like, uh-uh, that's not going to work. We we can't do it. I think it's what you're asking is one of the most underrated questions that leaders should be thinking about is what do I want the team to look like? What do I want the characteristics or the traits or the beliefs uh, of the team to look like? So my perspective is, I'll give you a few points. A, I want a very broad, diverse team and diverse in the sense, not just being the things that one might be able to see, 
but also diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experiences. Uh, because I often make this comment that if everyone around the table are 6'4", are male, are black, and they grew up in South Carolina and they've spent their career in the financial services space, then they probably will think like me. Yep. So I want, people, <laughs> I, I want a broad table where everyone is going to have a different perspective or a different background or way of thinking, because that's how you get to the best solution. So I want to start with a broad, diverse team. Next, what, what, I, what I really admire is I want leaders. I want people who can genuinely lead. Uh, what do I mean by that? I, I, I appreciate working with people who can craft a vision who can can inspire, who can motivate, who can get people to rally and get people excited. So leadership, leadership. And obviously there are some other traits that are rather critical. You want someone who can develop an action plan and execute against it. So execution and the, the value of that. Uh, but maybe more important than any of those things, I want someone who is aligned to our values and to our mission, someone who cares. Because I've worked with people who didn't fit that last description. And while they may get a result short term, they aren't going to be able to get a result long term when they don't have the integrity or they, they aren't aligned with you from a value standpoint, et cetera. So those are the things that I want and seek. Let me ask you, you said like you want leaders in today's day and age, you know, 2000, we're at the end of 2023. What to you makes a good leader? I, I'm guessing some of the leadership books that you and I grew up with, they, they may not have aged as well, right? What makes a good leader in, in today's world? I think effective leaders are the ones who are able to help people to see beyond what they think they're capable of. Uh, the ones who are able to help people see the art of the possible or what need be true to accomplish X, Y, Z. And it goes back to what I said earlier, someone who can craft a vision, who can motivate, who can engage. You know, I played a lot of basketball when I was, when I was young and uh, my high school basketball coach is someone who's passed on now, but he is someone who even as an adult that I had this huge, this level of admiration for because he was a leader. And, and I went to the small public high school in South Carolina and we had a pretty decent basketball team. I wasn't one of the, the good kids, but I was on the team. But he could motivate us. He could get us willing to run all night because this, this, how he was able to kind of engage us and get us to believe in the art of the possible. To me, that's, that's still what I seek and that's still leadership. So those are the things that I tend to be attracted to as it relates to hiring people. So you, you run a big ship. How do you make sure, and I have a couple of questions on this because I think it flows to any size organization, but, you know, I guess a couple of different things is like when you're looking at something and it's not working, like not all ideas work, right? So there's two different things on that. I, I know one side of this I've always struggled with is number one, how do you make sure that you're still taking the risks and you're trying new things and not only like uh, having the ability to fail at times, but also knowing when to move away from it? Because we all go into ideas thinking they are the most amazing ideas. It, it kind of can be tough on the ego to be like, yeah, we just got to commit the resources someplace else, right? So any thoughts or hacks on how you, how you keep moving this ship forward and taking some risk? Absolutely. I'll give an example from my prior, from a prior assignment I was in. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you were surprised to see that I was the chief marketing officer. Shortly after that assignment, 
I actually stepped into another chair where I was charged with building out an innovation strategy for the enterprise, for the whole company, and building and hiring an innovation team. Because the goal was we needed to figure out how do we begin to disrupt the core, the existing, and to do so before someone else does. That was the assignment. So some of the some of the things that I learned in that assignment that I continue to take with me to this day. Number one, if everything's working, you're probably not trying hard enough. You're not pushing the envelope enough because failure and, and we think in the business world that failure is bad. Certain failures, in my view, are OK if big, big if a you are able to take the learnings from that failure and move that into another effort. B, you don't allow this initiative, this project, whatever you're working on to linger down this path for too long. And C, you have to make sure that that some of the things that you are trying, that they are working. So you need to have a decent batting percentage you know, across the spectrum of your portfolio from an innovation standpoint. So that's how I tend to think about it. And the most important thing that you see within many companies is that they become enamored with an initiative or they become so attracted to it that they can't see that they've poured resources into it and and it's not feasible. It's not something that's going to come to fruition. So having a level of discipline, having a, a clear action plan, clear milestones, clear expectations over a timeline. And when you're not hitting those milestones, pivot, react, adjust, adapt. But over a period of time, if it's still not coming to fruition, you got to know when to pull the plug on something. And companies struggle with that. But I've always believed, I said earlier that I'm somewhat methodical, I'm a planner, that uh, having that plan when you start is what really matters to ensure that you're not kind of chasing something that is is not logical or not realistic. Let me ask you this question. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the relocations in your career and how, you know, the workplace has changed. We can all be, many careers can be remote, the, the beauty of digital. When you're mentoring, when you, you talked about the group at the, the University of South Carolina, if they were to ask you, what does a career at, whether it's true stage or credit unions in general, look like? Maybe to that freshman class when they graduate, to that next MBA who comes out. What do you think this the, the environment looks like as we move forward? While much has changed, much remains the same. So, yes, the physical environment has absolutely changed. Uh, you know, we are a, a remote workplace, obviously, and, and our employees uh, come in periodically based on their work, based on what they're doing. And you heard me say earlier, I'm a big believer in relationships. Yep. <laughs> so, so how do you how do you forge and create these relationships virtually or digitally? I believe that you put you have to put in the extra effort and the work, but I believe you also find ways to create connections and gatherings. At True Stage, you know, we are really focused right now in trying to create gatherings and connection points where employees come together, not for the sake of just coming together, but trying to create meaningful opportunities and experiences where when people come in, they feel good about the experience of being in for that week in the office. So so that's how we're thinking about that. But what would I tell that freshman class or that freshman group about the workplace of the future? I would say while the the physical environment is different, because when I was you know, literally right out of school, I put on a tie every day and went to an office as a college rep. 
that world doesn't exist anymore. And I think that's a good thing that it doesn't exist anymore. However, some things are still the same. How do you find ways to differentiate yourself? How do you find ways to make sure that you're delivering on the expectations? How do you find ways to make sure that you clearly are able to to accomplish the things that are most important to your specific role and that you're a collaborator with others, that you're a good team person, that you recognize the value of the end customer or member? Um, and probably most importantly, are you fulfilled in what you're doing? You know, I tell my sons this regularly that while I want them to be able to earn a living and take care of themselves, any parent wants that. But I I also want them to be fulfilled in whatever they do. I'm fulfilled in, in my daily grind because I believe in what I do. And I just think that that's so important for everyone. So I do have a lot of dialogue with younger people in particular about the value of and the importance of fulfillment in your career and making sure that you're doing something that genuinely matters to you, that makes a difference, et cetera. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Before we we have a little fun with the rapid fire questions to wrap this up, was there anything that you were hoping I was going to ask you, but I didn't? <laughs> well, you you haven't asked me about, which I get this a lot from people. You've been at True Stage now for however many months. What's the future of True Stage? What's what's going to be different? What's what are you going to focus on, et cetera? So I get that question a lot, and my normal answer to that question is a: the foundational elements of the True Stage strategy work. <laughs> if you look back at what we've been doing, the foundational elements of our strategy they work, but the the landscape is littered with companies who had a phenomenal strategy. And they fail to evolve, they fail to pivot, and they lose relevance. So my focus, my belief is that we have to continue to evolve to ensure that we are meeting the ever-changing expectations of members, uh, the ever-changing requirements of what it means to be able to engage with someone and meet them where they are. And meeting someone where they are means a lot of different things. It means meeting them digitally. And being able to create an experience that's personalized, it means being able to offer them personalized items that feels like it was designed for me. So I think we as a company will continue to evolve to ensure that we're meeting those needs and we will continue to work on what it is to operate as one true stage. So not operating as a collection of companies, but operating as an enterprise who has numerous solutions, a broad portfolio of solutions, but looking at things horizontally through the lens of the end member to take care of all of their needs. So that's how we're starting to think about what is the next chapter of True Stage. I love that. I I actually thought of a question that I had that I wished I would have asked you. So I've got one more for you here. Sorry, it's kind of a a monkey mind at times. But you you just mentioned you're you're fairly new in your tenure at True Stage. I found as friends have become CEOs and leading organizations, one of the parts that I I don't want to say they're surprised by, but they're like, 
it's an interesting thing. Suddenly I have 12 bosses and the, the and I know, you know, I, I know many of your board members, fantastic people and know quite a few of them. Well, since you're new for that person who's, you know, you're fairly new while it's kind of fresh on the mind for that person who's out there. Maybe there's somebody who's interviewing for CEO jobs today. If they haven't had that experience with the board, is there like a single piece of advice that you would get them? They've because we all think we've been to board meetings, but when you're the CEO, it's a whole different thing, right? Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there are a couple points that I would would share with you on that question. And you know, the the good thing for me is I've I've worked at a couple of places and I've seen how this has worked in very different ways. I might add, I've seen it work in very different ways in some of my prior experiences. So based on that, I've taken kind of the the best of those worlds that I've seen and trying to mold that into how I think about operating with a board. So a few points. Number one, just an incessant level of transparency, an incessant level of transparency around the good, the bad, the ugly, and being very forthright with the board to ensure that there are no surprises. Uh, number two, always come to the table with a clear, specific action plan. So yes, there are always going to be issues, undoubtedly, but here's the issue and here's what we're doing to address it. Here's what we're doing to focus on whatever that, that issue is with a timeline, with metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, number three, create alignment, create relationships. Uh, one of the things that I spent time doing was literally throughout all my travels and out meeting credit union CEOs and cool people like you, Randy, I've actually also been finding time to connect one-on-one with our board one-on-one with them so that we could have either a lunch or breakfast or dinner and just really have some some quality one-on-one time to get to know each other. Because while they, they learn quite a bit about me during the process, it's a deeper level of relationship now that exists. So I wanted to ensure that, that I kind of create the foundation of starting that relationship uh, with us really getting to know each other. So, so those are some of the things that I've seen and what I'm doing now from a board relationship standpoint. I think that is fantastic advice. All right. So the rapid fire questions, the questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. What was the very first job you ever had? Grocery clerk in a, a store bagging grocery. That was mine too. Uh, <laughs> when was the last time either personally or professionally you were just amazed? Oh, just recently, not long ago, we had an issue with, we moved some, and I'll give you the short version of it. This is rapid fire. We moved some furniture to Madison, Wisconsin, and a uh, we have a sleep number bed and something was wrong with the pump. It wouldn't pump the bed up. So we called the the warranty place and they were going to ship something out to us. It would take two weeks. It's like, but I'm supposed to be sleeping on this bed. What do I do? <laughs> I call a sleep number store in Madison, Wisconsin, and the manager of that store said, I have a, a pump that we can loan you. And I was like, oh my God, really? And she loaned us a pump to use in this bed until a new one came in. I was so floored by that. I was at a conference in Maryland with a group of CEOs. And who do you think I ran into? The CEO of Sleep Number. And, and of course, what do you think I immediately said to her? I just had the best experiences at your Madison, Wisconsin. With your Madison store. You'll tell more people about that than probably anything else, right? So that's, a, that's amazing. Awesome. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. I've received a lot of advice over the years, but one that I've incorporated into who I am, that, that, that I believe this is part of this leadership journey that I've been on, is to always be authentic. 
Always be authentic. Always be who you are. And bringing your authentic self really, really matters because people will immediately, maybe not on day one, but on day 300, they'll realize when you're not authentic, when it's not really you. So be be real, be authentic, but also don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously because you want to be approachable. And, and I recognize that because of what my business card says, that some people may not be as comfortable engaging with me. So I go beyond and out of the way to put people at ease, to make sure that they are comfortable engaging with me. When I'm in the lighthouse getting a salad for lunch, I talk to everyone uh, because I want to put them at ease so that they're comfortable engaging with me and talking to me. So don't take yourself too seriously. I love it. What's the greatest album of all time? That one you can still listen to front to back. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. See, I'm an old school rap fan. So Run DMC. Uh, what was the Run D- first Run DMC album with Sucker MCs? That's it. Oh, I love that one. So this question came from the NCUA board chair, uh, Chairman Harper. He's been on the show before, and he said, a question I wish you asked everybody was, who plays you? in the movie or biopic of your life? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one, but, but I'm going to go with an answer, an actor that people, I don't know that I see it, but I've had people say, hey, you kind of resemble this guy. The actor, uh, Dennis Haysbert. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, there you go. 24, he was the president in 24. Yeah, in 24, yep. Is there something either you're currently reading or is there that book that you just think everybody should read? Oh, wow. I am always reading three, four books at the same time. I'm a huge, I'm an avid reader, uh, and I typically read biographies. So I'll give you two that I'm reading right now. One is um, is a book called Leaders by General Stanley McChrystal. Uh, it's really just about, he chronicles the journey and the walk of various leaders from different periods in time, and it gives a short kind of synopsis about what made them most effective. So I'm, in, I'm reading that now. And I also just started reading um, Romney. Uh, so Romney, it is biography that came out a few weeks ago. So those are the two that are at the top of my Kindle list right now. As you're flying all over the country. That's what's uh, that, that time when you can't be on Internet on the plane. Right? <laughs> no, uh, so when you hear the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? Oh, that, that's an easy one for me because... Remember, I, I think of success through the lenses of fulfillment, as I kind of mentioned earlier. And it would be my, my and you said one person, but it would be my mom and dad. Because my mom and dad have lived a, uh, a blessed life. I'm, I'm fortunate they're still with us, 85 and 81. And they have, have literally poured everything into me and make me and, and created the person I am is thanks to them. And they are, are enjoying life at this juncture. So to me, that's success. Love when mom and dad get the shout outs there. So last question, uh, any any final thoughts you'd like to share? Do you have an ask of our listeners? The, the I guess the last share would simply be, uh, first, I've, I've immensely enjoyed the dialogue and the conversation with you. And, and you're a pro because you make this easy. Uh, <laughs> you make this feel like a, a like we're sitting right next to each other, just having a conversation. Uh, well, I, I look forward to the next one. So that's uh, when, when we are just sitting next to each other, having a conversation. There's so many other questions I'd, I'd love to just pick your brain on. So, <laughs> so thank you. But what I would leave you and the listeners with is just our, our unwavering commitment. And commitment's a word that I use a lot. And I often talk about the fact that, you know, I wear this ring on my finger because it is representative of a commitment to my bride. 
you know, I wear a bracelet that says pay it forward because it's representative of my personal commitment to ensure that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm paying it forward. So the commitment, this unwavering commitment that TrueStage has to the credit union system is something that I want everyone to recognize, to realize, to understand and know that our commitment remains as strong as ever. I personally am committed to ensuring that this relationship, this partnership that we have with the credit union system, that we continue to use it as a force for good and that we continue to find ways to create betterment in the communities that we live and work in and that we continue to take care of members. Uh, I love it. Well, there you go, Terrence. I thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to our paths crossing again soon, hopefully. And if people have uh, additional questions of you, the last thing, are you on LinkedIn or you just uh, any any way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, <laughs> I am. Uh, I am out on LinkedIn. So feel free to drop a, uh, a note to me or a connect session on LinkedIn. If there are any d- additional questions or thoughts or comments about anything I've said or anything else for that matter. So uh, I always enjoy engaging with others and meeting new people. So uh, and I, I want to thank you again. I really appreciate this. Oh, thank you, Terrence. And uh, we will link to everything we talked about today in the show notes, including the big brother and big sister and uh, everything going on at True Stage. So thanks again for being here, Terrence. Hey, thank you so much. A few things before we go. First, make sure to check out Amazon Business, the most comprehensive one-stop shop for business purchasing. Uh, We are glad to have them as a sponsor, and they allow me to have this much fun doing what I do. Please also subscribe to the See You Insight experience on your favorite podcast player. We are on all of them. And if you're looking for a book that's mentioned on the show, like the couple that Terrence mentioned, a quick Google search of the See You Insight experience podcast book list and your next read will be on its way from Amazon. Uh, last but certainly not least, I want to thank all of you for listening. Y'all rock and I appreciate each and every one of you. Be well, friends.